Our scripture tonight is Hebrews 10.10. It's just one verse, and I'd want us to meditate on this verse tonight. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This evening, I would like for us to consider the sacrifice of Christ and its implication for us, not just as Christians, but in a broader sense, humanity as a whole. Tonight's meditation is by no means a full treatment on what it means for Christ to be our sacrifice, but my hope is to bring you to the foot of the cross as you meditate on the person and work of Jesus. So why should you care about the importance of sacrifice? Well, to understand his sacrifice, we have to go back to the beginning and see the purpose of why sacrifices were instituted by God. So we have to begin with Genesis, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that was in the earth and on the earth. And it was all good. And then he made man and woman and said, this is all yours. Live in the garden. This is for you. But do this one thing. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But within the first three chapters, what do we see? They disobeyed by eating of that fruit. You remember the serpent came and deceived Eve and Adam, and they ate, and their eyes were opened, and they realized that they were naked and they were afraid. And so the Lord came and visited in the cool of the night, right? Why did he visit? He wanted to commune with them. He wanted to have a relationship with them, so he comes to visit. Where are they? They are ashamed, they are naked, and so they hide from God. So the Lord confronts them for their their disobedience, and the Lord tells them there's a consequence for their sin. God executes judgment and punishment as he sends them out of the garden. But before he does that, he does something that is amazing. He covers their nakedness, right? He does this because of their shamefulness. He makes clothes out of animal skins. And this was the first time that animals were killed to cover the nakedness and shame of man. No longer having access to God, no longer living in harmony and union with God, sin had separated Adam and the entire human race. And so then we see in Exodus, when God chose Israel as his people and brought them out of the land of Egypt, he he did so because he desired to be their God and for them to be his people, right? He gave them his law. He gave them instructions on how to live so that he could bless them. And as Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, and before he could even come down, they had already committed adultery against God and built a golden calf, and they were worshiping him. Again, they had defiled themselves and sinned and broken their covenant with God. And because of their broken relationship, we read in Leviticus, God gives specific instructions to build a tabernacle, a place where God could come down and dwell with his people. In fact, that's what the entire book of Leviticus teaches and instructs not just on who can worship God, but how they can enter into his presence without being destroyed or killed. And so even though God hates sin, yet in his great mercy and love for you and for me and for them, he still desires to tabernacle or dwell with his people. 
But in order to enter, there must be an atonement or making an amends for the wrong done against God. We must deal with our sin. So, in the Old Testament, God implemented the animal sacrifices as a way to provide a temporary covering for the sins of the person or people so they could have a relationship with him. With him. <clears throat> the animal served as a substitute, meaning the animal died in the place of the sinner. The sacrifice symbolized a cleansing or being clean or morally pure or righteous before God. The aroma of the offering was pleasing to the Lord and appeased his anger, but it did not satisfy his wrath against sin. These sacrifices looked forward, or they were a foreshadowing of one day God providing the perfect sacrifice that would wipe away all sin and reconcile us to God. Hebrews 10 tells us that these offerings were but a shadow of the good things to come, that they needed to be offered continually as humanity would need constant cleansing. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So in light of the fact that blood and bulls, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins, why is Christ the only acceptable sacrifice? Well, when you study the history of Israel in the Old Testament, you see a pattern in Scripture that man sins and disobeys God, but God in his faithfulness continues to pursue man. So the common theme is that because of sin, we are a broken and dislocated people who are born under the condemnation and the power of sin and cannot be reconciled with a holy God or enter into his presence to have a relationship with him. And by the way, let me just add that since we are born in sin, all our efforts and even our best of intentions fall short of God's standard. The Bible even tells us in Ephesians 2 that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When I was in college in Virginia, I roomed with my brother. We had an apartment together. And I remember one spring break, my brother and I, we went to New York to visit my parents. And after a week or so, we came back. And as we came back, we, <clears throat> we lived in the house, uh, the upstairs of a house. And so as we were going up the stairwell, when we opened the door to go upstairs, we noticed a smell, uh, something like something had died. So as we're walking up the stairwell, all of a sudden, that stench, that smell is getting stronger. And so he and I had, we walk into the apartment. Now this is around dusk. It was kind of late, so, you know, it was kind of dark in our, in our apartment. So first thing, if you know me, I have a very sensitive smell. My nose is very sensitive. And, and I all of a sudden, like, just went into this investigative, I was like, where is this smell coming from? I need to go find it. And so as I'm being led by my nose to find out where this smell is coming from, obviously it takes me right into the kitchen. And here I stand in the kitchen, and I look at the refrigerator, and I see what seems like dry blood coming from, down, from the freezer. So 
in excitement, instead of like thinking through this, I go to the freezer, I open the door, and take the biggest breath of my life, or what it seemed like, the biggest breath. And the stench was so strong, it literally knocked me back. And I remember just keeling over, just gagging, and just literally just wanting to throw up. It was the most disgusting thing. And what had happened was, and we realized after, that for a few days, the power had been out in our apartment, and we didn't know about it. And so in springtime in Virginia, it gets pretty hot, and so basically the freezer was just a pool of blood and, and rotted out meat. And so we spent, my brother and I spent the rest of the evening cleaning out that freezer. And I remember going to bed and waking up the next morning and that smell was still in my nostrils. It was still, it felt like it just had permeated my entire body. You know, it's interesting because I'm sure you all can recall a time in your life where you've gone through a similar experience of having to endure a nauseating smell, an aroma or a stench that was just abhorrent or repulsive. Dear friend, what you need to understand that in your sin and in your rebellion, you and I are that rotting stench in the nostrils of God. You and I are the defiled carcass because we are spiritually dead, according to Ephesians 2. There's nothing lovely about man. There's no law or expectation that God needs to pursue us. And yet he does. He doesn't need our love. He doesn't need our worship to make him complete. He owes us nothing. In fact, God would be justified in destroying us all, and all of heaven and creation would praise God if he chose to rid us from his presence. This is your position before a holy and righteous God, apart from a sacrifice or a substitute that can justify your life. We can do nothing. We can offer nothing. Talk about feeling hopeless, right? So, in light of that hopelessness, when Christ went to that cross, what did his sacrifice mean? For you. Why are we here on Good Friday? Why should this day bring us hope? Well, God knew that we could never meet up to his standard, that we could never reconcile with him on our own. So in God's great plan of redemption, he knew that the only way that we could be reconciled with him, is that he needed to provide the perfect or better sacrifice as a payment for our sins. And that sacrifice was himself. So against the backdrop of hopelessness for man, against the backdrop of wickedness and sin, the scripture sets forth the love, the grace, the mercy, the pity and kindness and compassion of God, who, by the way, is the offended one, right? And it is he who in himself provides the atonement for our sins. You see, all these sacrifices and all of Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ, the spotless, blameless, perfect Lamb of God, the once and for all sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 11 tells us, and listen to the language of what we have been talking about thus far, entering into the tabernacle of God, into his presence, having a relationship. And I like the New American Standard Version, so I'm going to read it in that. 
Verse 11 says, But when God appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the great and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. God made a way for us through his son, Jesus Christ. We can now enter into the tabernacle because of Christ. In the wisdom and providence of God, he sent a savior, a substitute to take our place for the judgment and punishment that we deserved. And God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by the way, it is by grace that you have been saved. It was Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the sweetest aroma in the nostrils of God, an aroma aroma that pleased God and satisfied his wrath for you and I. It was the blood of Jesus that was shed for you and me on that cross. And it is only by the blood that we are cleansed and washed of our sins. As Charles Wesley so beautifully wrote, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Look upon the cross and see that Jesus paid the full payment on your behalf. Only Christ was worthy to be able to pay the once and for all. It was an everlasting payment. In fact, let me ask you this question. Have you ever considered why hell is eternal? Have you ever considered that? Well, hell is eternal because our payment for sin, whether small or great, whether one or many, our payment for sin is eternal. How many sins did Adam and Eve commit before God banished them from the Garden of Eden? How many times did they disobey before all of creation was condemned because of their disobedience? God's justice demands a full payment, a payment that is never satisfied because we are finite and God is infinite. Therefore, if we were to pay like the Israelites, we would have to sacrifice infinitely, constantly. We would have to pay forever, and therefore we could never satisfy God's righteous demand. But now, through faith, not by the works of sacrifice, but through faith, we have access to the Father. Jesus died in your place. He was the once and for all sacrifice. His payment was not temporary like the animal sacrifices. His payment was infinite. It is finished It is finished. This was his cry from the cross. Well, was finished. The sinless God-man, Jesus Christ, who was fully man as you and I are, but also the one who's fully God, could cry out, It is finished.
Because his payment for sin could satisfy the infinite demands of God's justice against our sin. When you understand the infinite implication of Christ's sacrifice on the cross on your behalf, you cannot help but, like Isaiah, fall to your knees in awe and reverence, praising and worship our great God in humility and thanksgiving because of the sacrifice of the Son whom he loved. God had so much pity on you that he chose to kill his own beloved Son who was perfect and sinless and the sweetest of all to save you and to rescue you from eternal separation and damnation. I think Romans 5, 6 through 11 sums it up so beautifully this evening. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you see how the cross is the crux of the gospel, the centrality of the good news for those who are the enemies of God? We are now reconciled to God through his Son. There is no greater love for you than this. When you realize that God in this good news sends us to Christ, but by this very good news, Christ brings us to God. Friends, can I leave you with this one exhortation as we leave from here this evening? I want to encourage you tonight. I want to ask you to never stop going to the cross. Let it not just be this evening, but every day of your life. We need to preach Christ crucified to ourselves every day. Whatever you say, whatever you think, whatever you do, whatever you know, it must all be in relation to Christ's sacrifice. As you consider the unjust and undeserved sacrifice of Christ for you, how will you respond to the cross? I close with Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I pray that as you look at the cross tonight, that you will be drawn deeper into the depths of God's love and grace for you. That through his Son, you would be a fragrant and pleasing aroma of Christ to the Father as you offer him your worship and your allegiance through your love and thanksgiving.
Let us pray. Oh, dear Father, thank you for the cross. You sent your Son on to that cross. You pulled his head back and you killed him there as the perfect and only acceptable sacrifice for us. Oh, Father, we are not worthy to receive such a gift. And yet, out of your love and out of your goodness and out of your abundant mercy and grace, you count us worthy to be called your children. Father, as we look to the cross tonight and as we look to Sunday, that which Christ did for us through his person and through his work. Oh, Father, may it grieve us. May it draw us closer to you. Lord, may we run with reckless abandon into your arms, praising you, thanking you, filled with joy and wonder that you would do such a great work. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Amen.